I just love living in Ohio because you get all the seasons. <laughs> yeah, like this week you get all four in 48 hours. Come on! Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, in a new bank rate survey, more than half of Americans now say the cost of living is too high and their income is too low to purchase a home. But what's the real problem those numbers are pointing to? Also this morning in our Community and Business Spotlight, the Center for Corporate Engagement at Ohio Northern University is breaking the glass ceiling with a new Women in Business Leadership Certificate Program launching this fall. We'll get details. And March is Community Read Month at the Findlay Hancock County Public Library featuring the best-selling true story, Hidden Figures. Sarah Clevidence will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, February 28th, 2024. Big news this morning. Big, big news. Um, and this is especially big for all of the grammar police out there. If you know some, everybody knows someone who is constantly uh, on duty, the grammar police. Right. And social media has really brought these people out of the woodwork. (laughs) Used to be that the grammar police were kind of lurking in the shadows, but you never really saw them or very rarely did. Now, social media, uh, they spout off all the time, whatever people post online. Well, those grammar police getting their comeuppance with this. Those who have long held that sentences in the English language should never end with a preposition. Merriam-Webster says otherwise. That's right. The folks, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary posted on Instagram last week, quote, the idea that it should be avoided came from writers who were trying to align the language with Latin, but there is no reason to suggest Ending a sentence with a preposition is wrong, unquote. So if you've ever ended a sentence with to, with, about, off, for, uh, you don't have to worry about that anymore. So you can tell the grammar police to just shut up. (laughs) Just go take a flying leap. While some maintain that ending sentences with prepositions sounds lazy, others are happy to see the the, the rule go. Uh, How many times, one commenter uh, to uh, the Instagram post from Merriam-Webster, how many times have I made an awkward sentence to avoid a preposition at the end? We are, you're free. You have been freed from constructing these awkward sentences. It is no longer necessary to avoid ending a sentence with a preposition. What is the the old joke? Who wrote... uh, Ending a sentence with a preposition is a matter up with which I will not put. <laughs> something something along those lines. I remember that from my uh, middle school grammar classes. So forget everything that you ever learned about sentence construction. It is fine to end a sentence with a preposition. Whew, man, that's good to know. That is big news. You remember yesterday we had the story, and I believe we had it in the uh, broken news yesterday, uh, about uh, Flacco the Owl. 
uh, the Eurasian eagle owl that escaped last year from the Bronx Zoo. And they were trying to capture Flacco the owl because they believed that since he had spent his entire life in captivity at the zoo, he lost his natural ability to hunt and survive in the wild. And uh, turns out they were wrong. Uh, he made himself, uh, he made a nice life for himself on the outside there in Central Park in Manhattan. And uh, he became sort of a, a folk hero in New York City, Flacco the Owl. And the story was that that it had a sad ending, the, uh, the story. Flacco the Owl uh, was found deceased after having run into a building, flown into a building um, in Manhattan. And uh, so the uh, story of Flacco the Owl uh, did, in fact, have a, a tragic ending. Well, here is a follow-up. New York City is making an effort to decrease the number of birds that will die from striking buildings in their city. They say uh, a billion birds will lose their lives from striking buildings in the United States, and many of those, obviously, in New York City. So, the Big Apple is making an effort to decrease those numbers. According to the New York Times, New York City has passed legislation requiring builders to use bird-friendly material in all new construction and large renovations. (laughs) Bird-friendly material. The city also requires city-owned and managed buildings to shut off all non-essential outdoor lights at night during peak migration month, which I'm sure makes the streets much safer. Um, (laughs) Safer for birds, probably not so much for people. But that's the law. And on Monday, now this bill, actually this law dates back to 2019, but as of Monday, uh, the law was renamed the Flacco Act, uh, which stands for Feathered Lives Also Count. (laughs) And uh, they have proposed expanding the law to require more buildings in New York to use bird-friendly material, not just New York City, but throughout New York State. Requiring buildings to use bird-friendly material. What, are you going to pad the building? You're going to add padding to the outdoor buildings so that the birds bump into it, they just bounce off? I mean, I'm not sure what bird-friendly material uh, means. You're going to, uh, like, eliminate all of the exterior windows because, you know, how birds will fly into windows? Is that is that it? You're going to eliminate all the windows? That'll be pleasant. I, it's, I'm not sure exactly what that means, but... <laughs> they are responding to the... Passing of Flacco the Owl in New York City. We're not, we're not going to let this tragedy. Thank goodness, Flacco has not died in vain. <laughs> uh, let's see. speaking of uh, buildings uh, running afoul of the law. This is kind of interesting, and this is from Great Britain. Owners of the Crooked House Pub, which got its name because its doors and windows have a distinct lean have been ordered to rebuild the 200-year-old landmark. The old pub, here's the story, the old pub was originally built in 1765 and burned down last August, just days after being sold to a private buyer. It seems one side of the crooked house uh, sank back in the 1800s, leaving it nearly four feet lower than the other side. Thus the name, the crooked house. Um... Despite an online petition to save the building, signed by more than 10,000 people, 
the demolition the demolition of the 200-year-old crooked house proceeded without without permission from the local council. And apparently you have to get local council's permission to uh, demolish it. Maybe it was because it was a historic building. I don't know. Anyway, now the owners have been ordered to rebuild the pub brick by brick to what it was prior to the fire. (laughs) Complete with a four-foot lean. (laughs) Why would you build a new building that leans four feet? I mean, what happens if it sinks even more? Um, Detective Inspector Richard Dancy of the Staffordshire Police previously told news reporters, the incident has caused a great deal of speculation locally, and we understand the significance of the building within the local community. I guess there's speculation that the uh, fire was not an accident. So, I don't know, but they have been reordered to build the Crooked House pub exactly as it was before, rebuild it exactly as it was before the fire with the four-foot lean. Got to be the most uh, unusual project. Imagine if you're a contractor and somebody comes to you and says, I want you to build a new building, but I need for it to lean four feet one side to the other. <laughs> I'm sorry, you want what? What is that? What is A couple of other items here among the first things you need to know. The most interesting and buzzworthy cons- uh, stories of the day. We- what is this world come to? coming to? We now actually have at least one person in America, uh, who makes money as a baby name consultant. A woman who calls herself a baby name consultant. Some, that's someone who is paid to help others pick out baby names. Uh, apparently, she's got a Steph Cofield is her name. And she's apparently very popular on TikTok. And she says, parents are now trying to choose names that also work as eye-catching social media handles. This is what we have come to in this country. So, because we are putting all of this effort into choosing names that also work as eye-catching social media handles, that has given rise to the profession of the baby name consultant. Um, names with Steph is her online name. On uh, TikTok. And she has nearly 270,000 followers. Uh, She tells uh, news reporters she gets paid as much as $500 to consult expecting parents on how to find the perfect name for their little bundle of joy. A simple name suggestion runs $25. But she goes all out. The $500 package, she gets to know you and (laughs) apparently all of this stuff. She uh, noted the social media nen, uh, she noted the social media name trend recently. People want their kids to have that unique identity. They want their kids to have a cool name handle for Instagram or TikTok in the future. That's assuming that Instagram and TikTok are going to stand the test of time. But that's a whole other story, I guess. Uh, so names like Ferris, Keaton, and Townsend are trending among boys. Uh, Unique names for girls like Berdina, Doretta, and Velma are also trending for the the girls. She says parents need not worry about choosing something bold like Rogue or Scout, Theopolis or Rufus. People say, well, what about when they grow up? And she says, to that point, look at Dolly Parton. I mean, her name is Dolly. 
And she is an icon. She has owned that name. So don't be afraid to saddle your kids with a bold name. I'm just still trying to wrap my head around the fact that we have someone who is a baby name consultant. We have to... <laughs> we have to hire a baby name consultant, please. Man. And uh, by the way, speaking of uh, kids, I thought this was uh, interesting. A new survey, 2,000 parents. 78% believe that their kid is growing up too fast. Who are the 22% that don't think that their kids are growing up too fast? Uh, 83% believe that parenthood has made them more sentimental. 84% say they have kept something related to their child's milestones in life. Something like a copy of their footprint or handprint when they were little. Uh, some of their baby clothes. Um, a baby tooth is, uh, I guess, a popular keepsake, which to me sounds kind of gross, actually, but that's what they say. And uh, how about this? Uh, the uh, pregnancy test. <laughs> Do you still have your pregnancy test from your little one? Uh, apparently, these are all uh, popular keepsakes. Um, parents say they are sentimental about items from their baby years. Because their kids change so much and so fast. Just kind of interesting. Pregnancy tests? Okay. Baby teeth? That just is a little gross to me. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Showers possible today. Temps will plummet down to the 30s in the afternoon. Partly cloudy tonight, alone in the mid-20s. A motorcyclist was injured when he lost control of his bike and crashed in Finley. It happened in the 700 block of Howard Street, a little east of Broad Avenue. Police say the 31-year-old from Finley was driving west on Howard Street on his 2023 Suzuki motorcycle when he went off the north side of the road and hit a tree in the front yard of a house. The man was thrown from his motorcycle and struck a building. The motorcyclist was taken to Blanchard Valley Hospital with injuries that were not life-threatening, according to police. He was issued a citation for operating without reasonable control. See some video from the scene and this story on our website. The Federal Trade Commission is suing to block a proposed merger deal for Kroger. The FTC says the $24.6 billion deal between Cincinnati-based Kroger and Albertsons would eliminate competition and lead to higher prices for millions of Americans. Kroger and Albertsons, two of the nation's largest grocers, say a merger would help them better compete with Walmart, Amazon, Costco, and other big rivals. Kate Burdett, ONN. Blanchard Valley Health System says it'll soon be opening the first 12-bed acute rehabilitation unit, ARU, in Hancock County. In the ARU, patients receive a minimum of three hours of physical, occupational, and or speech therapy five days a week a more rigorous therapy schedule than a patient might experience in a skilled nursing facility. However, they generally spend less time in the ARU with an average stay of two weeks. Learn more about BVHS's new acute rehabilitation unit in this story on our website. Ohio's primary election is coming up on March 19th, and WFIN has been holding candidate forums to get you familiarized with the candidates. In our most recent forum, we heard from the candidates for Hancock County Sheriff, Mike Cortez, Mark Price, and Dan Harmon. If you missed the forum, you can watch the video in this story on our website. Our next forum will be on Monday and involve the candidates for Hancock County Commissioner. Get more on all the forums and see what candidates and issues will be on the March 19th Ohio primary ballot in this story on our website. 
Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So our cover story this morning is actually kind of a sad story. In a new bank rate survey, more than half of aspiring homeowners say the cost of living is too high and or their income is too low to afford a down payment and closing costs for a home. In other words, a majority now say that the American dream of owning their own home is out of reach. And furthermore, one in five believe that they will never be able to purchase a home. Bankrate senior economic analyst Mark Hamrick joins us once again this morning. And Mark, a lot to unpack here. There are a lot of layers to this survey and what it's really telling us, I think. But clearly, this shows that buying a home for this generation is a much different proposition than it was for their parents or grandparents, doesn't it? That's right, Chris. Uh, good to be with you. And what I think this survey does is put a fine point on the impediment to home purchases. And when we're talking about housing affordability, what we're really talking about is the lack of housing affordability. And this has implications all across the society. So to kind of level set a little bit, let's talk about first what uh, component of the population owns a home, about 54%. Of American adults own their own home. Uh, some have previously owned a home, but don't currently. That's another slice of that pie. And then, of course, as we've watched home prices rise over the last several years, so too have mortgage interest rates. And so that is the double-edged sword right. that is really cutting into this concept of housing affordability. Now, how much of this, and this is one of the layers that I think uh, is interesting, I want to kind of uh, explore here, how much of this is generational and how much of it is just a snapshot in time? I mean, certainly current conditions are likely to change. Mortgage rates are probably going to come back down. Inventory eventually is going to loosen. Um, you know, for young people looking to buy their first home, their income is going to increase as they advance in their careers. I mean, some of the uh, factors in this equation are going to change over time. Well, absolutely, or at least so we would hope uh, for the better in terms of housing affordability. And there are a number of different ways to answer that question, but I will go to one of the key components of this survey when we asked people if they thought they'd be able to ever save uh, enough for a home purchase. And 36% of boomers said that they thought they would never be able to do that. Oh, wow. Okay, so we're talking about people who are age 60 to 77. Hmm. Even 28% of members of Generation X, members of Gen Z, that's our youngest adult cohort between 18 and 27, turns out they're the most optimistic, but that makes some sense because their lifetime and career and earnings trajectories are yeah. only sort of being established uh, at the present time. Yeah, that that word ever uh, in there is is really significant, and that did jump out at me. One of the, the points in the survey that one-third, 30% would think that it will take at least five years or longer, and 10% say right. it would take a decade or more to save up for the down payment and closing costs. Is that necessarily a bad thing? I mean, some would say that this is something you should have to commit to and work hard for to make happen. This is... I mean, this is the instant gratification generation, but this should be aspirational. I think that's a fair point. I think when you try to sort of unpack a lot of that, then you have to say, well, what is uh, holding people back? And for example, uh, among millennials, and that's those who are basically in their 30s, uh, their high 20s and young 40s, 
One in four said the credit card debt is the issue. Also among millennials, 14% said student loan debt is the issue. Mm. So it's not just the saving for this home purchase, which would typically be the biggest transaction we have in our lifetimes if you don't include, let's say, the cost of a college education, which would be considerable, as we know. Right. Uh, But I think you're right. Uh, We do need to accomplish all of our financial goals, and that includes saving for emergencies, saving for retirement, and paying down or paying off debt. The other thing that I wonder, and it, it this is the part that kind of makes me nervous, actually, a little bit. I wonder if this notion that home ownership is out of reach for something like half of the adult population, uh, as this survey suggests, and again, uh, to the extent that this is a generational uh, feeling and not just driven by uh, current conditions, I wonder if that will lead to more aggressive programs that may help some get into that first home, but carry with them a lot of financial risk as well. We have certainly seen that happen in the past, and you can't imagine that uh, the real estate industry and the banking industry is going to look at you know potentially half the market going bye-bye and say, well, we have to do something about that, but what are we going to do? I would say that we had an experience in the middle part of the 2000s that demonstrated what happens when we don't pay sufficient scrutiny to qualifying borrowers well. And there were a lot of things that came together to create that housing crisis, eventually a massive financial crisis. But uh, lending requirements right now, I would say, are not the chief impediment. The main impediment is just simply the failure to be able to save a sufficient amount of money for a down payment. One of the pieces that we have at bankrate.com is a very good one, and that is about first-time homebuyer programs. In some cases, it can require as little as a 3% down payment. So people should read content like that, do their homework, perhaps get pre-qualified for a mortgage. The other part is, Chris, one of the things that has been quite uh, dynamic and evident in the economy and in the housing market in the past year or so is that builders are responding by coming up with Mm. more efficient uh, models, coming up with lower priced points of entry, and also helping prospective buyers to buy down on that mortgage rate. So what is now maybe a 5% mortgage, they can get in by essentially buying that down to get down to 5%, and that can lower the monthly payment. So there are solutions out there. I would just say Steady and slow wins the race. Uh, be attentive to all of the financial goals that we have. And I think with patience and some diligence, this can be done and never is a long time. One of the other rays of hope coming out of the survey was that for those who are in a position to buy a home, fewer of them feel as though it is not the right time. Maybe not necessarily a good time, but yeah. a less bad time. Yeah. Well, that has improved since when we asked just one of these questions of the uh, aspiring homeowners that uh, essentially, as you say, fewer Americans say that it is a bad time to buy a home. And I think that is probably underpinned by uh, at least a couple of considerations. One is the average for the 30-year fixed rate mortgage, which is the workhorse for home purchase financing is down to just above 7%, where it was above 8% last October. And so that makes a difference. Also, the economy has proven more resilient in many ways than would have been expected by now. We've been talking 
to economists who, who participate in our surveys for the past two years have previously talked about the elevated risk of a recession, one which never happened in the United States. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean what is it going to happen? It will happen at some point. But the nation's unemployment rate is historically low. We've had a lot of job cuts or layoffs, but that hasn't undermined the stability of the job market broadly. And so there are good, let's say, macro conditions for home purchases, but at the micro level for people to be able to save enough for a down payment, yeah. that's the big challenge. That's the opportunity. Yeah. The outlook is not as gloomy, but it's still a big lift for a lot of people. Again, uh, Bankrate Senior Economic Analyst Mark Hamrick with us this morning. Mark, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it as always. Always a pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Once again, putting the Ohio Northern University Center for Corporate Engagement in the spotlight this morning. Carol Churchick is with us talking about a a new certificate program that you have that you are launching uh, specifically geared toward women in business. Tell us more about this. Yes, we're very excited to launch our Women in Business Leadership Certificate. It will start in September. It will be a cohort of people that go through the program together. It's an eight-month program, once a month. And we really want to focus on women um, being able to achieve business acumen as well as leadership skills. What types of skills, when you say business acumen and leadership skills, uh, what are some of uh, the examples uh, of that? Sure. So some of the topics that we have are uh, strategic thinking and planning, finance for non-financial professionals. Um, We have um, authentic leadership, so really looking at your strengths and how you lead. Um, Communication uh, for leaders. Um, We would also look at analytics. How do you use data to tell the right story? Okay. Uh, Now, all of these things are important to know for anyone in a leadership role. How do you specifically tailor this for women in business? What are some of the particular challenges for women in business with respect to some of these topics? Sure. So sometimes people get into roles, um, men or women, and get to a place where they may need a little more business acumen to feel comfortable Mm -hmm. to take on a new role um, or maybe take on a project that they may not feel as confident with. Um, I think that the cohort format of women together creates a networking group as they go through this program that they can feel confident and comfortable really digging in and understanding what they know and more importantly, what they don't know. So it's just a way for those women to kind of share their experiences, build a network and work together to get them ready for whatever it is they might be looking to achieve. And with women in business in particular, uh, there is... I don't want to say I don't say a stigma, but for lack of a better uh, term, there's the idea that uh, whether it's real or imagined, women still face extra hurdles uh, with that. So again, focusing on women um, is is important in that respect. Yeah, it really gives them the confidence to maybe try on some things they may not feel that they are as qualified for, but really should be trying to attain or or really could do that role. Yeah. Um, and I think you're right. I think whether it's real or perceived, there sometimes is that gap between um, what they feel they can do and really what they could accomplish. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of um, cohort learning helps people to really um, try on what they may not otherwise. So you mentioned this is a certificate program that will launch in the fall, and this will be at the center itself, correct? Correct. Um, 
Asante bringing in people from all over and many different industries and businesses and, and so on, uh, which also is uh, interesting in the fact that it just demonstrates that many of these skills are not necessarily unique to a specific business. These are kind of universal for whatever type of uh, career you're looking for, whatever kind of industry. Right. And that's kind of the secret sauce of the program is you get people from healthcare, finance, manufacturing, um, all different types of real realtors, um, all different types of industries. And yeah. so in that um, learning experience, you really are understanding how people do things and um, the skills that different skills that people bring. So there, there's a, a wide range of skills that you get just from being in the room. Yeah. Uh, so making the announcement now of the launch of the program in the fall so that people have plenty of time to plan for this. Uh, how do folks register, learn more, register? Uh, is there a deadline involved? Give us all of the nuts and bolts here. Sure. Um, so the registration's open. It will be at www.cce.onu.edu. So it's www.cce.onu.edu. Um, they can also shoot us an email at cce at onu.edu. Um, we're excited. Um, we'll answer those questions. There'll be description on the website and registration will be open. I'm happy to you know work with people if they want to send a couple people. We can do that as a, a group package. Um, so we're just excited to have the conversation. And can individuals sign up for this uh, as well? Uh does it need to be through their employer that they send uh, people to this? Or no, not at all. If somebody wants to invest in themselves, okay. it's a great investment, yeah. um, especially for people who may want to think about you know, what's next for them. Um, they can sign up just as an individual and or register. even the possibilities that are out there, just investigating what may be possible. Absolutely. And yeah. that's where the networking really is beneficial. Absolutely. Again, uh, Carol Turchik with the Center for Corporate Engagement at Ohio Northern University in the spotlight this morning. Carol, thanks very much. Thank you. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. A Tampa man has been accused of attempting to steal a plane and instead crashing it into a fence and a pole. (laughs) Now, I don't know too many places where there are fences and poles in the sky, so presumably he did not get said stolen plane into the air. (laughs) This is our dumb criminal of the day. Bruce Plummer is his name, now facing several charges in Lee County related to the incident. According to police reports, Mr. Plummer broke into two planes, but could only get one of them to start. And again, he crashed it into a fence and a pole. Uh, he can, after the crash, you can be seen on surveillance uh, camera footage uh, leaving the aircraft. This all happened late Monday night uh, after his arrest. Uh, He was charged with burglary and lots of other things. But this is the dumb criminal of the day. If you steal a plane, you should at least know how to get it into the air. You should know how to fly it before you go stealing a plane. Uh, If you don't know how to fly it, maybe stealing another mode of transportation would be more appropriate. (laughs) Fresh into a fence and a pole. Uh, Elsewhere in the broken news this morning, 
Uh, this oh well, here's another one from uh, Florida. A woman has been sentenced uh, uh, to probation after an incident uh, traffic stop on May the sixth last year. Um, why this took so long to get through the court system, I don't know, but it happened uh, last May, so almost a year ago. Ariel Laquiri was arrested during a traffic stop. Police searched her vehicle uh, and found a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles backpack with 41 turtles inside. <laughs> well, if you're gonna if you're gonna keep contraband turtles, I mean these were you know, like endangered species. You're not allowed to keep these uh, these turtles, and she had f- 41 of them. Uh, where else but inside a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles backpack? They were not Ninja Turtles. They were endangered turtles. Um, <laughs> but it, but the story doesn't end there. When uh, police asked uh, Ms. LaQuire if she had anything else in her car, she pulled out a foot-long alligator out of her pants. <laughs> As if the 41 turtles in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles backpack weren't enough. She pulled a foot-long alligator out of her yoga pants. <laughs> she has been charged uh, with the uh, possession and transportation of wild animals. She pleaded guilty and was sentenced to six months probation and community service. And presumably, she had to promise to no longer put any alligators down her pants. Only in Florida. This could only happen in the state of Florida. That's why we love it. (laughs) Heaven forbid the state of Florida should ever secede from the Union again because we would lose all of these uh, great uh, domestic broken news stories. But sometimes we have stories from the international file. An Irish woman had her injury claim, her disability claim, tossed uh, Camilla Grab- uh, Grabska, I think is how you pronounce her name, claimed that she had back and neck injuries from a car crash in 2017, and she was uh, seeking nearly a million dollars in compensation. Um, and uh, she claimed that her injuries left her unable to work for more than five years, and uh, uh, she... It just ruined her life, this uh, this accident, claiming a million dollars. However, her claim has been tossed uh, after photos surfaced of her participating in a Christmas tree throwing contest. <laughs> a newspaper clipping uh, from 20... Now, remember, this was the car crash in 2017. A newspaper clipping from 2018 showed her participating in a Christmas tree throwing contest... And not only participating, she actually won. <laughs> she, she, she later admitted that she did uh, participate and, in fact, win the contest. It is a very large natural Christmas tree, and it is being thrown in a very agile movement. According to the judge, in throwing out the claim, I'm afraid I cannot uh, conclude anything but that the claims were entirely exaggerated. <laughs> 
If you know you are suing for nearly a million dollars over injuries that left you unable to work, why would you even enter a Christmas tree throwing contest? <laughs> that is bold. <laughs> Christmas tree throwing contest. I'd be interested in learning more about the Christmas tree throwing contest, actually. That's... Uh, let's see. A couple of other items here from the uh, broken news file. You know how the Stanley Cups have been all the rage. Uh, this is like, I, I know people have been going crazy for these uh, Stanley Cups. They're sold out everywhere. These uh, insulated uh, drink cups. Uh, it, it's like all the rage. Um, and apparently now this has gone to a an entirely different level. Uh, some Stanley Cup owners, some people who are lucky enough to snag one of these cups, are now charging for not, they're not selling their cups, they're charging people the opportunity to hold their cup and take a photo for social media. If you couldn't get your hands on one of these uber-popular Stanley Cups, now you can pay to take a selfie with one. A Facebook post is offering the service for $10.00. Uh, there's another one that asked $20 to pose with the coveted pink cup, which I guess is the uh, top of the top. They have one of the pink cups. Those are incredibly rare. And uh, $10 to snap a photo with a white one. <laughs> if you don't want a selfie, you can also shell out cash for a photo uh, just of the Stanley itself. Uh, one online uh one person online uh, found a listing selling pictures, just pictures of the uh, Stanley Tumblr for $150. Pictures for $150. We have gone, we have jumped the shark with the uh, Stanley Cup thing, haven't we? I mean, we have just gone completely off the rails here. And f- <laughs> that's too much. And finally. Uh, in our broken news report this morning, this is the viral video of the day. And I have seen this. It is absolutely hilarious. Brandy McCroy received a shocking surprise when she ordered ice cream at her local McDonald's. She posted about this on TikTok. I have no idea where this McDonald's is. I don't know where she lives. Uh, but this has gone viral online. Ms. McCroy pulled into the drive-thru late at night looking for a sweet treat from Mickey D's. She ordered an ice cream. What she received was a cup of ice with containers of coffee cream on top. (laughs) It was ice cream. She got a cup of ice with little uh, cups of uh, half and half uh, on top. (laughs) Ice and cream, Ms. McCroy. Uh, said in her video, some common uh, commenters on the post said she should have known better given McDonald's reputation for broken ice cream machines. <laughs> As one commenter put it, y'all are just asking for it, going to McDonald's thinking the ice cream machine was actually working. <laughs> but kudos to the clever uh, person at the at Mickey D's who... Uh, came up with the idea of uh, fulfilling the order in a most novel way. There you go. 
That is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Primary election day is March 19th, and WFIN is presenting a series of candidate forums so you can hear from the candidates you'll see on the ballot. Coming up on Monday, the candidates for Hancock County Commissioner, Holly Frischie, Jeffrey Hunker, and Jeff Wopser. The candidate forums presented by the Hancock County Republican Party. Join us Monday at 5 p.m. live from the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts on 1330 WFIN, WFIN. FIN.com and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. This kind of falls into the latter category. Uh, An interesting new survey here. If you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? Would you choose a gourmet feast uh, cooked by a, a world-class chef, or would you pick your favorite comfort food? One meal to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? 70% of adults in a new survey would choose the comfort food. Only 16% would go for the gourmet meal. So we are much, well, that's why they call it comfort food, because it's it's something we're comfortable with. Just, one meal for the rest of your life it would be comfort food for 70% of the people in the survey poll also found that if respondents would have to eat the same meal for the rest of their lives, 45% say that they would start with chicken wings. That would be the appetizer. Chicken wings. 33% said mozzarella sticks. (laughs) 30% uh, said a Caesar salad. Who are those people? (laughs) You could have one meal for the rest of your life and you're going to pick a salad. Um, 28% said that their forever meal would start with uh, cheesy garlic bread. All right. I think I'd go for the mozzarella sticks. I think that's what that would be for the main course. 39% said that they would never tire of pizza. Here's the question. Is it the same pizza all the time? Or could you switch up the toppings? Because pizza would be, I mean, that could encompass many things. So if you're talking about one meal for the rest of your life, pizza would still allow you some variety, I would think. Uh, so so I, I would have to qualify that. But uh, that was number one on the list. 29% said burgers would be their preferred forever meal, which I couldn't do that. I mean, if I go like fast food or burgers for like three or four days in a row, which I've been known to do, I get a little sick of them. So I can't imagine doing that for the rest of my life. But that's what 29% said. 23% said that they would eat spaghetti forever. 17% say fettuccine Alfredo. And 16% said mac and cheese. (laughs) Mac and cheese forever. What did they ask? (laughs) Five-year-olds? The perfect finish to their forever meal would be... You know, obviously for dessert, uh, you'd have to include a dessert. 63% would choose ice cream as their forever dessert in their one meal they could eat for the rest of their lives. 30, uh, 63% would choose ice cream, which is hard to argue with that. And again, like pizza, that would still afford you some variety, would it not? You wouldn't be restricted to just one type of ice cream, I wouldn't think. But... Uh, because they just said ice cream in general. They didn't say a specific flavor. So I'm, I'm guessing you could pick different flavors. In any event, 
would end every meal with cheesecake. It would be their forever dessert. Uh, 43% uh, said chocolate cake uh, would be the dessert they would prefer, would prefer with every meal from now on. And, t- <laughs> and 24% said that they would never tire of Rice Krispies treats. <laughs> so those are the meals. If you could just pick one meal to have for the rest of your life, those are the things that Americans uh, would pick, according to the survey. <laughs> How would those compare to your forever meals? I've never really thought about that, but it's it's kind of an interesting question. If I get only one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? You know, we talk about these annual signs that spring is coming. And one of them is when Community Read rolls around every year. I always know that spring is right around the corner. It's one of the reasons I look forward to. Just one of the reasons why I look forward to the Community <laughs> Read uh, every every year. And March is Community Read Month at the Finley Hancock County Public Library. Uh, Sarah Clevenance is with us this morning. And this year, the featured book is a, the uh, best-selling true story, Hidden Figures, which I... I think we've all seen the movie. And the movie is wonderful. How different is the book from the movie? Pretty different. Really? I mean, well, you know, there's, uh, I'm re-listening to the book right now, and there's just so many more women featured in the book um, ah, than you get okay. to really know in the movie. And, mm-hmm. you know, they try to put this, it, what, 300 and some page book into yeah. a two-hour movie. You know, they've got to combine some it, stories. It, it always happens yes, that absolutely. way. Yeah, that's, and that's what I'm kind of uh, alluding to is that it, we've seen the movie, but mm-hmm. you don't necessarily know the whole story just by watching the movie. You don't. There's just so much more history in there. And it's, I don't know, it's incredible what these women were able to accomplish. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the the hurdles that they were, that they had to overcome uh, as women, as in, and as African American women, yes. uh, at in that era at that time. Yes, the, their skills were exceptional, um, but to just gain the trust and, and opportunities mm-hmm. um, was was more difficult. One of the scenes I love in the movie um, is uh, John Glenn's getting ready to get in in the rocket for his orbit, mm-hmm. um, and he's he's asking them to double check the numbers, and he wants to know if Catherine Goebel has approved the numbers, because yeah. the IBM computers were, were new, and they were sometimes giving right. different results, but mm-hmm. you know, if Catherine said it was okay, then yeah. he was okay with it. In the book, it, it's not quite the same about to step onto the rocket um, yeah. dramatic scene, but but that line is still in there that, you know, he wants to know if the smart girls agree with these numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so the the reason you chose, one of the reasons why you chose this book is obviously uh, in the coming weeks, we're all going to be focusing on the sky. Yes. So with the eclipse coming April 8th, you know, we sat down to talk about what kind of programming we wanted to do at the library in preparation for the eclipse. And it was really just sort of this aha moment of, oh gosh, <laughs> we can't uh, program heavily for community read like we always do and do a lot of information on the eclipse at the same time unless they're the same topic. And, yeah. and Hidden Figures was an obvious choice. Now, normally we bring in the author as part of community read. Mm-hmm. And instead, this year, we're bringing in Imagination Station. 
And we've talked with uh, Imagination Station a few weeks ago uh, about some of the things that they're doing, uh, you know, outreach to communities and, and uh, what they're doing. But for the benefit of those who didn't hear us talk about that a few weeks ago, talk a little bit about what they will be doing. Yeah, they're going to take over the library on March 16th. <laughs> so they're bringing uh, 12 different science stations and their inflatable star lab, which we're going to set up underneath the skylight that day. Oh, cool. Um, so it, it'll just be science all over the library. You know, I apologize to our patrons who might have hoped for a quiet place to read that day it won't be yeah. at, at our library um, but there'll be just so much to see and learn for, for families and kids especially we'll also be giving away eclipse classes that day we have, we have, a th- have those we do, yes you gotta do we have a thousand pairs so as long as they last we'll be giving them away and uh, along with uh, community read as uh, is part of the program every year you've got a, a number of other things that are uh, going on with like book discussions and uh, things like that. We do, absolutely. One of the things we're really excited this year is, is uh, partnering with the Mazda Museum to bring in Laura Freeman. You know, every year we try to pick a, a family of books that all talk about similar themes for, for community read. And this year we're really lucky that Hidden Figures has been adapted for young readers and there's a picture book version. Really? So okay. Laura Freeman illustrated the picture book version and, and the Mazda worked with us to be able to bring her in. She'll be at the Mazda on March 6th at 7 p.m. Wow. So coming up uh, right around the corner. Here. It is. Next, yeah, next week. week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spring is here, as you said. Now, is that, uh, and that will be at the Mazda Museum? Yes. So, and uh, do folks need to register for that? Uh, yeah. Or So there's no registration for Laura Freeman's talk. There's no registration for the Science Festival either. Okay. Um, we did have registration for the Star Lab, and uh, last I checked, that was full with a long waiting list. Okay. Uh, but, you know, even if you can't get into the Star Lab, you can still visit the other 12 science stations with no registration. Yeah. Uh, so those are the, uh, some of the uh, key events. And as we mentioned, uh, there are book discussions to participate in. Uh, the idea behind Community Read is to get the entire community reading this, uh, reading and talking about this uh, this one book. Absolutely. So, and and of course... Again, because it ties in with the whole space eclipse theme, um, but also, again, the purpose of Community Read is to help people sort of rediscover uh, the joy of reading and the importance of, of reading to learn new things like this. Absolutely. You know, there, there's so much out there in the world that we, we can't know everything about everything, but if you read a lot of books, you can know a little bit about a lot. Yeah. And Community Read is a great way to dive in a little bit more deeply to, to a topic. And, uh, of course, uh, it, it also kind of opens your eyes and, and opens your mind to a lot of other uh, topics that are brought up uh, in the various books, and every year this is true, but, you know, for example, in Hidden Figures, again, we talk about uh, African Americans and women in mm-hmm. these types of roles that uh, the these women broke barriers. They absolutely did, and yes. people stand on their shoulders even today. Yes. You know, uh, something else I think that's been interesting, I, I'm kind of at the, the part of the book as I'm re-listening now, where the computers, the the, you know, IBM computers are having a larger role and it's just amazing mm-hmm. to think what that shift was like you know we take for granted you've got computers sitting on your desk right now I've got right. one on my phone in my in my purse yeah you know they're such a part of our lives now but not that long ago 
they weren't. All right. of those calculations had to be done by, by hand by, by, hand. That by is, these incredibly smart women. That is a, that it just boggles my mind. And I've I've heard the saying many times: we've got more technology, more advanced technology in our phones now than what they had when they landed a human being on the moon. Oh my gosh! Yes, and it's just. Uh, that's mind-boggling. So, you know, talking a lot about that uh, within the context of the book uh, as well. Now, you do have copies of the book at the library, right? We have lots of copies at the library of the book and the movie. You can also get them uh, through our Libby app, uh, which is available, uh, you know, through our website, finleylibrary.org. Okay. And uh, it, like you mentioned, you are actually listening to the book, so it's mm-hmm. fine. If you uh, don't have time to uh, to read, you can go ahead and listen or you could do both. You, you can, can listen to a chapter and read a chapter and you know, whatever you've got. In my book, listening counts as reading. We're just enjoying <laughs> stories in a variety of ways. There you go. Uh, so Community Read Month begins in March. And again, give us uh, some of those uh, key dates here. Yes. So March 16th is the, uh, the Imagination Station Library Takeover. Uh, Laura Freeman visits on March 6th to the Maza Museum. Uh, lots of programs all throughout the month you can find on our calendar on our website, finleylibrary.org. Okay, and again, the uh, family of books uh, for the younger kids, also the uh, kids' version of Hidden Figures yes, this year. Yes, absolutely. So that is terrific. We've got a link up on our webpage, goodmornings.net, for the uh, Finley Hancock County Public Library website where you can learn a lot more. And again, Sarah Clevidence with us uh, this morning. By the way, real quickly, how is the uh, remodeling and uh, all of that going, uh, the process at the library? It's been really exciting. So March 7th, uh, because why not do everything in March, (laughs) will be closed on March 7th as we install the new circulation desk. Okay, that's the day. That's the day. Our staff are all going to be enjoying a staff development day while upstairs the crew is putting in the new circulation desk. And we just can't wait to to see it and to show it off. It already is... um, the, the change is remarkable in circulation, just the little things we've done already, adding some color, our welcome windows. And so maybe folks uh, will get to check it out for the first time when they come to the Imagination Station take. Pretty time. great opportunity. There you go. Uh, Sarah, thanks very much for taking the time and the uh, update this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Again, our thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about every day on the program. Head on over to our website. You'll find that at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, it is time once again to go bowling for kids with the Children's Mentoring Connection. We'll get all the details. And remember, it's about the kids, not about the bowling. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.